I was set on faith, family, and fitness. To uh, you can't see the total, the total fitness benefits right now. <laughs> but believe me, they're there. Anyway, he he first came to me, and I, you know, I was not even remotely a guy that you would think this guy's going to be interested in doing this. But Danny came to me and said, "Look, we got this club, and we study this thing every day, and we'll." We got about eight guys in it, and uh, we'll ask each other questions about it and everything. And I said, uh, you know. Yeah, because you're you know. a special teams coach, and, and he's a quarterback. They yeah, don't, we got nothing, you know. We they don't talk to each other much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, anyway, I go, uh, you know, I, you know uh, there ain't no future in the daily bread for me, Danny. You know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I procrastinated this a lot, and I hope. I'll say that, but I'm all the notes and I've been taking notes, uh, Christian notes for a long time now. And, uh, I'm trying to compile them and put them in transcript, put them in transcript. And I want to put a book together for our, our, uh, my grandkids. And, and, and at some point when I do have it done and bound and everything else, just give it to them. And hopefully that, uh, They'll be as lucky as I am that uh, I was able to benefit from those words. Hey, hey, welcome back to another rep. My name is Steve Hagan. If you like this show, hit subscribe, hit like, share it around, share it with your people, your team, your tribe, your friends, your family. Just share it around. Today, I have a good friend. This is this is so fun. I just want you to lean in. I want you to laugh along with us. His name is Bobby April. He is a long time NFL veteran football coach, and um, he's gonna. We're gonna talk about football a little bit, but we're gonna talk about his faith and his family and all those things. So um, lean in, laugh along, and let's go get another rep with Bobby April. Let's go. You gotta style your hair before we do this. No, 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 no. I just wanted to make sure you know nothing was out of place. <laughs> nothing was out of place. Welcome back to another rep. My name is Steve Hagan. I love Bobby April, man. He he is he's fun. He's fun to work with. We worked <laughs> together at the Jets, the New York Jets, J E T S, Jets, 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 and uh, we had a good time, man. It was like minute to win it every day, and it was just it was fun. So hey, welcome to another rep, Bobby. Hey, I'm like Joe Biden. Are, are, are we is, is the cameras on? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, it's on. It's on. That was one of his campaign days. Yeah, but anyway, thanks, Steve. I, I really appreciate being on. This is outstanding, and uh, I'm, I'm really honored to be a part of the program. Oh, I appreciate you just taking time out of your day. I know everybody's busy. You're living down on Lake Ponce train. How's that? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> uh, we live right on a lake, fortunately. We have a swimming pool. This house was, was purchased when I was uh, still about four or five years from retirement, but we saw it. And uh, we knew it'd be great for our grandkids. I got seven now. I had four at the time. But, um, it, and it has been great for my grandkids. So, yeah, yeah. in fact, we have we have uh, two of them, two of the boys coming over this weekend because we're going to take them to a couple of parades over here. And uh, Oh, it's so Mardi Gras time down in Louisiana. Oh, it's Mardi Gras time. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, in fact, I'm riding in one of the biggest parades there is in New Orleans. What are you the uh, king or something? The king? Of no, the- I'm not the king. No, I'm not the king. Uh, 
but I'm in Bacchus, the crew of Bacchus, which is um, one of the most glamorous, uh, great parades uh, that they have here in New Orleans. Wow. All right. Yeah, it's a big one. It's Tell me a, about it's the cake. Big. Tell me about, what is it, the king cake? Well, yeah, the king cake is, uh, well, now it's done year round. But traditionally, it was a cake that you would you would have once a week and you had a party to celebrate because everything kind of led up to Mardi Gras. Yeah. Cause it's, it's really a Catholic holiday uh, where, you know, after the day before uh, Lent started was the big blowout. I'm talking years ago, you know, yeah. hundreds of years ago, uh, they had a big blowout in, just partying and everything and then they would be then there would be lent for 40 days yeah so it got bigger and bigger and then there was a tradition of having a party um you know uh four weeks before every friday you had a party and the cake was you made a cake and you put a little baby in it like yeah. at, at one at one time it was like a little parsley uh parcelain baby it was kind of glass you know glass type parcelain yeah and now they're just plastic but uh you'd put one in there and every you'd slice the cake and everybody would take a piece and whoever got the baby whoever got the baby would have to have the next king cake party oh so that's how the king cake now they're they sell them year round they sell them geez they sell them everywhere i mean yeah. they sell them in, drugstores they sell them everywhere but they're really capitalism at its finest right capitalism meritocracy at its finest (laughs) (laughs) and and the 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 person that has the most the randazzo bakery uh is the people that had the the most famous king cakes and they were from my part of new orleans heck we Uh, might have to get they were were from chalmette we might have to get the uh Randazzo Bakery as a sponsor for this podcast. Hey, we're well. We're publicizing them. <laughs> we're getting, we're giving them a big name. We might we might as well get some out of this. That's right. Maybe we can get the the cake with the baby in it or something like that. Yeah, yeah. You well, then you have to throw the party. <laughs> That's right. Hey, Bobby, like, to kind of to kind of avoid it, to kind of avoid it, so you didn't have to th- throw the party. But the prize was you got to keep the little baby, the little porcelain baby. That'd be fun. That'd be cool. Yeah. Did you ever yeah. get a porcelain, a porcelain baby? Did you ever get one? Uh, no, I never did. I never did. Now, when we were coming up, you know, like junior high and all, and that's got, that was kind of the original social yeah. deal for, you know, uh, pre-adolescents, adolescents. Somebody in, in the class or somebody at school would have a king cake party, invite everybody over. Oh, yeah. And that's how you kind of got, that's how you kind of got your first dance. Yeah. You know, to, uh, for me, I was born in 53. So something like uh, Unchained Melody would be <laughs> your first opportunity to go oh, over yeah. and ask a girl to ask a girl to dance. There you go. So it really, you know, the king cakes were big for, you know, developing socially as well. Hey, you, you, uh, started dating your wife, like not dating her probably, but you know, what the first grade or something like that. Did you well, no, her? no. Well, no, I knew, you know, we went to the same elementary school. Okay. And then her grandmother, uh, lived, uh, in uptown New Orleans and 
the marching club that I was a part of as a kid, because my dad was in marching clubs and civil life, was headquartered right uh, basically across the street from where she lived. So there was a playground there, Wiseman Playground in New Orleans. And uh, I used to see her at, at different functions at Wisner and uh which was but you know in those days seemed like a long ways from Chalmette but it was it's not yeah. um but anyway I knew her since first grade I knew that's, who that's she was crazy. and her brother her brother was an athlete at Chalmette he's a couple of years older than me how long have you so been married how long we've been married yep I'll let you I'll let everybody figure it out since 1977 oh wow okay Okay, so it should be 40. <laughs> Never mind. Let's just go over <laughs> 19, A minute. 19, longer, longer than a minute. Yeah, 1977. I think, it's four, I think it's 45, 46 years now. Yeah, that, you know what, that's impressive. You know, being in coaching, and you coached in the NFL for 26 years, married 46 years. We met when uh, uh, you were either coaching at Arizona at the time or USC, Southern Cal. And um, I was coaching in the Pac-10 as well. And we'd coach against each other and stuff. I mean, we right, right. three beers together because we were like hard, hard-earned enemies. But we Oh, were- yeah, everybody was enemies. Although we did have a pretty good uh, coaches uh, golf tournament in Palo Alto. Yeah, that's right. That's right. We were probably you friends. Know, you know who started that, huh? Who? Who did? Jackie Sherrill when he went to Washington State. Really? Yeah. Yeah. He went to what he was only at Washington State one year. Now I like that guy more than I used to. Yeah, a lot more. <laughs> yeah, it was, great, I don't it, was know great, it was a great event. It was do they great still event. do those things? I don't know if they still do it or not. Yeah, I would they, presume they do. Yeah. I would presume they do. Remember, it was a it was a Memorial Day weekend. It was the end of recruiting. Yeah. And Ed everybody Coach. would go there. And uh it was a nice event. That was really good. Really good. So, so you coached in college for how many years before you got in the NFL? Let's talk about that. Let's rewind. Um, I want to say 13. Okay. And you were, a D, you were a DB coach along with, when did you start coaching special teams? Like right out the jump or what? Well, he, here's what happened. Well, you know, I coached in, I coached in high school Yeah. for, for two years. Actually, two and a half because I graduated. I want to say I graduated early, but I really graduated after four and a half years. <laughs> but I always say hey, always it was early. Tell, it was early for you. Always, hopefully, no one's on this podcast. So I tell people I graduated early, but it, I, I graduated in mid semester. You know, I graduated between semesters. So I figure I can get away with it. I go, when did you start coaching? I started coaching in January. January. I, well, yeah, I got out early. I finished early. <laughs> so, <laughs> hey, it's all relative. Early for you, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I, I coached in high school for two and a half years. But how I got involved with special teams was uh, I was at Arizona and I was in charge of the uh, punt block team. Okay. And we, we had just, you know, the first three or four years I was there. We had just blocked an unbelievable amount of kicks. Yeah. I mean, it was like an average of five or six a year. I mean, it was insane. It was insane how many we blocked. Yeah. And so Larry Smith was our head coach at right. Arizona. And he was my head coach at Tulane, too. 
He was head coach at Tulane. You went from Tulane to Arizona to SC. Tulane, Arizona, yeah. And then to SC. Yep. And uh, so Larry had was big on special teams. And uh, he, you know, he did a lot with the, the punters and timing and everything else. But he had a GA, a guy named Andy Garver who had uh, been a GA at Notre Dame and had worked with uh, John Carney. Yeah. And he did most of the work with the kickers, but Larry wanted somebody to coordinate everything because he didn't think the guys worked on it enough in the off season. And right. they weren't as organized, uh, you know, getting ready for practice personnel and that type of thing. So he wanted somebody to coordinate the whole special teams, but I only coached one area, Yeah. but I kind of did things where, you know, I would be responsible for kind of keep getting the ball rolling and keeping it rolling with the guys in it. Cause everybody, I mean, if you coach the linebackers and then you're in charge of the kick return, um, I mean, you're, you know, you're concerned about the linebackers more than you're concerned about the kick return. There's no question. And, no question. And so he wanted a little more, he wanted a little more oomph. Uh, so that's how I became the coordinator. So I just kind of, you know, I was kind of making sure that they were concentrating and not, you know, not doing anything that uh, was, was, was kind of crazy and, and, you know, like putting offensive linemen on the kickoff coverage because yeah. they, they, they didn't want to. You know, if it, if it was a defensive guy that, that 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 you know the defensive coordinator didn't want any of his players on there. Yeah, so, right, right. You know what I mean? You know, you know well, how yeah. that would happen. Yeah, let's talk I about mean, that. You, a if, let's talk about yeah. the challenges of being a special teams coordinator. No matter where you are, it doesn't matter if you're in Pop Warner or in the pros. The challenges of being the, the special teams coordinator because it is challenging. There's no question. So, yeah, yeah, it's challenging. And it, it's, it's also a lot of fun because, you know, living up to a challenge and the competition of a challenge is always fun. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, yeah, there are a lot of obstacles to overcome. And I think uh, some of the psychological obstacles you have to overcome is most kids that are really good at offense or defense. Uh, you know, whatever level they, the coaches don't put them on special teams. Yeah. Uh, you know, they want to save them. They want to make sure they aren't, they aren't hurt or this type of thing. And, and even if they are on there, I, I always use the analogy of the Bronx tale. If you remember the movie with uh, Robert De Niro, uh, where he's the bus driver and he's, he lives two or three houses from, you know, uh, the club where the mafia meets and so forth. And he's, he's trying to keep his kid on the straight and narrow. Yeah. But his kid sees that his dad is, uh, you know, they don't make very much money. He doesn't, you know, have this glamorous lifestyle. And De Niro was the, the, the bus driver, the dad. And then he looks down the street, he just sits on the stoop. You know, he looks down the street and he sees all these wise guys and mob guys and made men and all this kind of stuff. And they've got the cars and, the jewelry and the suits and the, the women and, you know, everything. So he wants to go where he's rewarded. Yeah. And that happens, that happens in, in special teams. So if a kid is, he's an all state corner, um, 
he knows he's going to be recruited for playing in corner. Yeah. And so if you ask him to be on the front five on the kickoff return, he, he does, he, you know, he doesn't see where he's being rewarded. He's, he's living the Bronx tale. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so, you know, so as, as the coach also uh, personified as Robert De Niro, uh, you're always telling him about how it's going to be beneficial for him to contribute to the team, for the success of the team, yeah. the, all these things. And all he sees, he just looks down and down the stoop, and he all he sees is how he's being going to be rewarded. So you have that first, foremost, in every situation. Because by the time you get to the NFL, you know, some of these guys had their high school stadiums named after them, you know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? So, yeah. uh, they, they go, well, look, I want you to really dig deep. We want to really, I want you to be, you know, gunner on this. I want you to get down there and play hard. You're the best guy we got. And, and you know, and of course, you end up in conversations like, well, right after that play, I got to play defense. That's right. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's actually, you're playing defense when you cover a punt. <laughs> this, is what I'm trying, this is what I'm trying to get across to you. Yeah. That this is, you know, this is De Niro going, you know, We're all De Niro, you know. That's right. And um, he goes, uh, you know, I, uh, the guys got to wear better suits than you, you know. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So well, you and, hey, and Bobby, you know what? They're coaches sometimes. They don't want to help coach special teams. Sometimes we don't want them to help coach special teams because that's a whole other ball game. Well, so, hey, that's they're, another, not, that's they're not helping the situation. Well, unfortunately, that is the case yeah. because they don't want their guy to be exerting any effort into any area that doesn't um, benefit them. Yeah. yeah. Now, it does benefit them, but it benefits them on a, on a team concept, not on a personal concept. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to fast forward just a little bit because you you got to be around the uh, LSU national championship team. Was that two years ago? I think it was two years ago. Yeah, it's two seasons ago. Yeah. So you had coached you had coached college and then you were in the NFL for 25, 26 years coaching special teams. And then you go back as a consultant, uh, you know, just a good, good, solid set of eyes and ears and skills. And then you go back to that college setting where you like, come on, man, <laughs> a little bit. Uh, just uh, tell me what you thought, man. Just tell me, tell me what you thought. Well, it really was. It really was a great experience for me because uh, it it really it really helped me uh, mentally because I had gotten fired after the fourth game of the sixteen season. And um, so, you know, when that happens, uh, that's a that's a real tough thing to take when you've, eh, you know, you've you've had uh, some success and so forth. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's always a rejection when you get fired. Absolutely. But it's even a greater rejection when they fire you even before the season's over. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, fortunately for me, Ed Ogeron called me. The day after he, I mean, the day after I got fired, I got fired. And the very next day, the word got out. He called me and, you know, 
he wanted me to go there. And yeah. I didn't that first year. I helped him a little bit because I had too many things I had to get organized. But I, in 17, 18, and 19, I was consulting there. And I did help him in 16. Yeah, I just wasn't, you know, I wasn't officially there. I wasn't a, a paid or I wasn't, yeah. uh, none of that stuff. Um, I just helped him in and I helped him through the bowl game because he ended up at the end of the season firing uh, the linebacker slash special teams coach. So I ended up helping him with that. Uh, although, because I wasn't on staff, I couldn't go on the field and coach and I couldn't coach in the meeting. I just did everything. Right. And then the GA took over and the kid did a hell of a job, Carter Blunt, uh, who's at the New York giants now who's there with Joe judge. But, uh, I, I don't, I think he's still there. I, in fact, I know he's still there. I spoke to him recently anyway. Uh, so that really uplifted me that I was, I was going to finish the season in 16 and then, and, and I had decided I was going to retire. Um, it was always, you know, tough. Cause I would always kind of, um, for lack of a better word, fantasize about getting back in and, yeah. you know, trying to be successful and uh, these waves of getting back in would come in. But I, I was, I was set on faith, family and fitness to uh, you can't see the total the total fitness benefits right now. But believe me, they're there. We're going to talk about believe that me, in a minute. But did those kids uh, seem so much younger than those pros? And and what would what would you say? Like just reflecting back, observing back, and and uh, you know their maturity level. Because like when you're coaching in the pros, man, those are full grown men with that that idea of I got to do this to make a living because I got bills to pay. And and in college, my my reflection was, man, I got to go get paid. I got to go make some money. Now it's different, obviously, with the NILs and all that stuff. But, um, you know, I just thought those those college kids were immature and didn't see it, see it, the global picture of. This well, is this the, is the thing about the thing about LSU, you know, uh, of course, I'm, we're talking now 16, 17, I'm talking 16. I was there with them. 17, 18 and 19, 19 I was there, you know, full force with them. Yeah. Um, that's an elite program. No question. So, so uh, probably every kid uh, believes not, not just hopes and has a goal that hopefully they can fulfill. Yeah. I mean, they believe they're going to, they're going to play in the NFL. And um, so they were, and it was you know, boy, he did a great job. I mean, he did such a great job of coaching there the years I was there. Yeah. Then he went five and five in the COVID year. He lost to UCLA, um, you know, in, in 21. And then just everybody just, uh, for lack of better words, come out of the high weeds. Yeah. Uh, to, to, uh, to attack him. You know, he was like Caesar. Yeah. And uh, the rest of the community was like Brutus. Uh, on that one UCLA game. And then he never, he really didn't survive the season after less than two years of having maybe the greatest team ever. And it, it, it can, it could possibly be that. I mean, we played in the, we played in the, the game before the national championship, I guess that would call be called a semi is only 14. So, you yeah. know, you only have two games, uh, the, the, the semifinals and we went in halftime. We were up 42, nothing on Oklahoma. Yeah. I like you, what, Yeah, you know, uh, it just killed everybody. Yeah. Just killed them. 
Uh, of course, Joe Burrow, you know, was the quarterback. That's what I was going to ask you. How, what, you know, what's your perception of Joe? And, and uh, I know I'm sure it's very good, but, um, you know, him getting to the Super Bowl in two years, did that, did that kind of blow your mind or were you just like, yep, that's Joe? No, it was more like, yep, that's Joe. I think the play to me that personifies Joe, in my mind anyway, more than anything, and I told a local guy this once, uh, when we were playing Clemson in a national championship, uh, it was it was early in the game, and I think might have been our first series, and we had the ball like inside the 10. They punted us down in, down in there, inside the 10. And Joe makes one of his, his you know, his great escapes. Yeah. And he hits, uh, he hits Randy Moss's kid, who was a tight end, good tight end too. Hits him on a, about a 40-yard deal, 40-yard strike to midfield. Yeah. And one of our linemen were, was downfield. So the play got called back and I looked at Joe to see his reaction. You know how most guys would be, you know, when they make a great play yeah, and that great play is eliminated, you know, they're either devastated. Oh yeah. They're mad. They're frustrated. They have some type of emotion to the call and what they perceive as being robbed of a, what was a great play. That's right. Yeah. You, he was cool. uh, just, just emotionless. Yeah. He's just cool he the same as he, he was the same as he was. He's the same all the time. And, uh, and all the time he's, he's, he, he has a pot, you know, it's hard to explain what that presence is, but he had it. I mean, he had a presence, uh, that he was going to, he, 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 by his body language, by his, I don't know, by his uh, persona, something told you that he was going to get it done and he knew he was going to get it done. Yeah. Uh, and everybody, and that's, on how the he, team. that's how he was there. Yeah. And, and everybody on the team knows it and they feel it. And that's why he can take the Bengals, you know, the bungle Bengals all the way to the Super Bowl because, you know, and Zach Taylor's done a great job there, but, no one feared the Bengals, honestly, for a long well, time. Well, they were 2-14 and 14 before they before yeah. went there. Yeah, and then he gets there, and, you know, it's it's that that guy, you know. He's got that it factor, and it, it changes it. So he changed yeah. it. Yeah. Well, what he, does, what he does so great uh, is he's got an uncanny knack of avoiding the rush. Yeah. You know, he's not, he's not Michael Vick running back skilled. Um, th- but he's got a skill at it that's that's really good. I don't know who who I'd compare him with. Who was the best quarterback that you coached along that you had on your teams on, on all these teams? You coached the Raiders, and, you know, all over the place. Who were who were some of the best quarterbacks that you had? Uh, well. I don't know if you remember this guy, but his name's Kurt Warner. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> yeah. I just made a movie about that guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would have to say, Kurt, I, you know, I there were a lot of there were a lot of really good quarterbacks along the way. Yeah. Um, 
uh, none well, of he's them, a Hall of Famer, and they made a movie about him, so that's pretty. Yeah, good. none of them have the, the have the uh, you know the the success that he had. Yeah, uh, but we certainly had guy. You know, those quarterbacks are in. in I would think it, almost, almost everyone I've been around. I guess there's been a couple guys that were, you know, n- not so great. But I don't mean physically. I mean mentally. They they're really unique guys. Oh, they are unique. They're unique. Hey, I'm going to go yeah. back to something you brought up earlier, and you said faith, family, fitness. You know, your three things that you always tell me. I'm working on my faith, family, fitness, and you say, right, we can't talk in the morning. Cause I got to work on my faith, family, and fitness. And I love that about you. Cause you got four <laughs> girls, you got a boy, um, you know, you got your, your whole family there. And that's not easy to do when you're coaching in the NFL to raise a family. It's not, you got to have, you know, Shar, your wife is, you know, she's a saint. And, um, do you guys, move well, yeah, around? she is a saint. She is a saint for sure. Yeah. You moved around equally as much as us. And I mean, just, like tell everybody how you keep that together as a father and what you're thinking and, and how you process all that, because, you know, your, your family's great. You, you guys have been married over 40 years. And you've raised your girls, four girls, boy, you know, Bobby Jr. Is uh, coaching up at Wisconsin. He's linebacker coach up there. He's doing a great job. And um, you know, how do you, how do you keep all that together as the, as the father? <laughs> Well, I think I, until I retired, I became part of the equation until then Charlene <laughs> did it all. Uh, Cause I, you know, we worked a lot of hours Yeah. and uh, I, re, you know, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I look back and, and now I have the time to be with my grandkids and all. And I didn't have that with my own kids, you know, and that's not a great uh, realization to have because it's you know it's hurt it's hurtful that i didn't do a better job yeah uh charlene did a great job because all my kids have, have done really well they all graduate they all finished college they all got a degree uh my daughters are involved in a lot of things a lot of things charity wise uh they're all christians um uh they're all they're their their kids my grandkids are great they married great they have great spouses um so that really comes off that really i got to give all the credit for that because they were they were weaned and developed and nurtured by my wife more than me yeah um that's all i think i I think i think really I think really for any coach if if he doesn't have a really solid quality you know, wife that's, that's just of high integrity character, you know, trustworthy. Um, I don't know how he could raise a family. Yeah. I don't know. There's too many hours. There's too many hours, you know, there's too many hours away. There's too many things away. You really, you know, you, you really have a vocation more than a job, you know, and that's how, that's how I approached it for a long time. Yeah. And it's pretty selfish, really. Um, uh, it provided for him, but I, you know, if I didn't have the wife to do, like I, like I said, all weaning and nurturing, yeah, yeah. I, it wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have gotten done. When did you come? When did you come to faith? Because you said, you know, she raised him Christian, and and you're part of that too. You know, you're part of those. You're part of that equation, regardless of you know. Yeah. Well, minimal hours you put into it, you still have it. You and your wife are still having a 
staff meeting, a coaching meeting to make sure you're on the same play, page, you know, whether it's over a phone call or whatever, but, you know. Yeah, well, Charlene, uh, you know, pretty much had uh, had done everything she could, you know, with the kids in terms of church and that type of thing. She taught some catechism and the Sunday school and, you know, all, yeah. all the things that nature, the books, the reading and, and all of that she did, uh, you know, as, as I'm sure beyond what anyone would think someone would, you know, we visit now with our grandkids and the most we have with one of our daughters is three. And if we got them for eight hours, we're like wiped out, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, she had, man, she I didn't had, think you were that soft. <laughs> yeah. Well, those three kids well, bigger than a 53 man roster <laughs> yeah yeah exactly well uh so hey that brought you to, is that your answer that that's what brought you to faith <laughs> well probably part but you know so we had five with with you know with not being around any in-laws or family yeah because we're always away but what what brought me to faith i think more than anything is uh you know, I, I was, I was, I came to New Orleans uh, from Pittsburgh and uh, I really left it. It was, a, it was not a great business decision at all. And I knew it was. Yeah. I knew you were coaching at Pittsburgh and then you went down to coach in New Orleans, right? Correct. And, yeah. and New Orleans was coming off of a tough season. We were coming off of playing in the Super Bowl after a 95 season. Yeah. And uh, Jim Moore lost a ton of assistance and um, he, he asked me, the day after the, the game, uh, he offered, you know, he offered me a job in New Orleans. Now I had known him and I'd been around the saints before, but, uh, you know, my mom was living pretty close. I, I thought it would be a great opportunity to get my kids back close yeah. to their family. I could go have lunch with my mom. She was living by herself. She lived a couple of miles from the facility. I could cut her grass when yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. So I made really a personal decision. And I, you know, I, I got down there and, and um, I, I just was very fortunate that uh, Christian people kind of kept arriving at my doorstep. I mean, I never really went to theirs. Yeah. I just kind of, kind of had like the, one of the great influences for me in that is Danny Orphan. Really? Uh, I mean, how old were you at this time? How old were you? Um, like in, in 19, this was 1996. I was, um, uh, see, 44 40. I was, four, I was, uh, 43. 43, yeah. I was and 43. So Danny Werfel kind of discipled Danny, you. Danny actually came after my first year. Yeah. But, um, Danny was one of the guys. And, uh, and then just some kind of people in the community. I there was a there was a a Catholic priest who didn't do the mass, but but he did the uh, you know the Protestant service for us, which was kind of strange, you know. Yeah. And and um, so I had grown up Catholic the whole time, and just the way the the the, the priest had covered the the scripture differently than I was exposed to 
Uh, now he was a Catholic priest, uh, yeah. you know, but he did that. He knew the people and the people knew him and he was kind of a, a Protestant priest, I guess you would say. And he yeah. taught strictly from the Bible and this, and, and then I started reading it and with Danny, uh, we had a thing. Remember the daily breads? They probably still have. Yeah. I haven't, yeah. I haven't used anyway. He, he first came to me and I, you know, I was not even remotely a guy that you would think this guy's going to be interested in doing this. But Danny came to me and said, look, we got this club and we study this thing every day. And we'll, we got about eight guys in it. And uh, we'll ask each other questions about it and everything. And I said, uh, you know, yeah, because you're yeah. a special teams coach and and he's a quarterback. They yeah, we got nothing. You know, we they got don't talk to each other much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so anyway, I go. I, you know, I, you know, uh, there ain't no future in the daily bread for me, Danny. You know, I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking like one of the Bowery boys. You know, uh, yeah. and ain't no future in basketball, father. You know, it one of those. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, Anyway, I go nah, and I, he said, well, just take them and read them, you know? So I started reading them and then, and then the, 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 I got to know the priest a little bit better and he gave me some, some books to read. And I just kind of, this was after the 96 season, 97 and 98, you know, and I'm just kind of slowly, slowly, you know, learning more, yeah. absorb more and everything I read, everything I read. Uh, and everything that's in there, I could relate to as absolute truth. Really? The, it, it, you know, it's the, for me anyway, maybe I've just been around a lot of con artists. I don't know. But, uh, outside of, you know. Hey, like if you're living, you've thing. been around a lot of con artists. If you're still alive. Yeah, uh, outside of, you know, my the people that like my mom and dad, you know, were great parents. And yeah. I, I could totally trust totally trust them you know my my brother my wife I could just totally trust them but in general this was the only thing I I could look at and I go you know I can really trust this because I I totally understand and see that everything is it, it it all leads back to it it all leads back to how Christ lived and he wasn't you know he walked the earth uh as almost a pauper yeah he, he had no reputation of greatness he, he had no he had no wealth he was condemned he was ridiculed yet the way he lived had so much integrity and truth and righteousness yeah of course he, i mean you know not he reminds of me. Of, he reminds me of a good special teams coach. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah, you get ridiculed. But <laughs> you get ridiculed. Yeah, I, no I, one I, wants to join your team. No one wants to listen to you. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah kind of like that. But so you know, I, I really, uh, I just started really connecting with that truth, and that 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 river of. Uh, living water that you would get enriched by not enriched by you know uh you know your, your salary yeah not yes. enriched by uh headlines in the paper and just so many different things you know happen i'll give you a, one example yeah uh 
I remember reading and down here, it's the New Orleans Times Picayune is the name of the paper. And uh, I was re I was looking in the obituaries and and there was a picture of a real esteemed surgeon here in New Orleans. And right next to, you know, his picture was his obituary. And it was. Yeah, I mean, it was impressive. You know, it was very impressive. Yeah. Uh, and I had even known his name, you know, uh, just because he was so round. And the, the the next thing I looked at, it was a guy who the picture probably came from his uh, his union card picture. You know, uh, yeah. he was wearing like a work hat and probably from, you know, union local. 1017, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and there was nothing, um, nothing, um, I don't want to say impressive. There was nothing to, to like, yeah, put great, him above great him. accolades nothing, or highlights or anything. Yeah. Nothing like put him above <laughs> any society. But what, what, what was written, what was written was about his, his qualities as a person. Mm you know, about what the family said about him as a father, Yeah. you know, what, what the family said about him as a man. Uh, it wasn't like, you know, he rose to be a union labor boss of right. uh, none of that kind of uh, worldly stuff. And it, it just dawned on me, you know, uh, like, you know, right now for these two guys, and, and it doesn't mean that the certain surgeon may hit may you know, maybe yeah. Yeah. got a private walk around heaven, you know, from St. Yeah. Peter, I, you know, I don't know, but it just dawned on me, like, you know, what really matters now is all those values that I've been reading about in the Bible. That's what really matters. Yeah. Yeah. That's what really, really matters. So that's what and you're teaching now. You're teaching your grandchildren that, and you're, and your daughter yeah. and your son to teach them their children that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, coaching is, can be a, the devil's playground because it entices you to only look at the worldly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's, it entices you to that. It tempts you to that. Yeah. And um, I thought, you know what and, I thought was interesting? Sean McVay, after he won the Super Bowl. He was like, you know what? I, I just feel like I need to take some time. I need to get away from this a little bit. I don't have a family. I'm not married. I want, I've been dedicated my whole life to this one thing, this football. Like you said, this vocation, this football, it's my whole life. He's like, he didn't say this in that article. And I may have said it to somebody else and some friends, but he said, to me, it's like there's more to life than just that. And that's kind of what I'm getting from you. You know, there's 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 more life than just football like i was equally as entrenched in it as you were you know just yeah oh, it can it can, it can pull you there yeah it let's you there. go and it's an addiction right it's an addiction yeah. like like any other kind of addiction and it, it can be a destructive addiction as well if you don't you know keep it because you could become a workaholic and so distracted and whatever i mean there's times my wife had to say hey when you coming home when you come home you need to play with Nash, or you need to, you know, my son, and I'd be like, I got you, I got you. And I'd come home and I'd be so tired, but I'd have to like 
rally myself up to go throw a football with my son, you know, and I was, I'd think to myself, dang, that's crazy. How crazy that is, you know, but yeah, I appreciate that. And, and it's not easy surrendering like you, like you just are talking about, you're surrendering your own self, your own ego to the love and the will of Christ and saying, correct. Correct. I'm available. Yeah. And, and people can be very successful in this world and still do that. It's just that it, it the, the, the lore of the worldly for me was, was overwhelming the yeah. lore of being Christ-like. Yeah. And I found that a lot. I found that a lot. So what do you do now? Like your faith, family, fitness, what are you doing with your faith? Are you like part of a, a men's group or a group that that's, pushing this forward and what are you doing you know i just had, I, I had a call come in and i i turned it off but I, I what am i doing now with my faith family and fitness yeah with your faith part hey, a buzzer just went off you mind it holding for one second i, I need to do 25 push-ups right now <laughs> you do whatever you got to do coach. <laughs> no, i'm joking um anyway uh you it's know, like I'll having our, it's like having our cell phones in our meetings in our team meetings, right? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. no cell phones in the team. Oh man, the cell phone, the cell phone was just another distraction, wep- weapon of destruction for yeah. any type of teaching. I said weapon of distraction. And, you said weapon of destruction, and that's well, destroyed your teaching because they, you know, they. Oh, anyway, you know, because you've been there. Um, you know, we get up in the morning and whenever we want, <laughs> which is, which is, which is great. Retirement. That's right. Which is great. And uh, we usually get, Charlene generally gets up a little bit before me. She usually gets up around 630 or so. I get up anywhere between 7, 715. And uh, we sit and we drink coffee and usually read some something of scriptural content yeah uh you know either a book the bible um whatever it is yeah i go to i go to uh a bible study on sunday which is part of the service kind i guess it's not but it is yeah um and then i go to one on monday i listen to one on tuesday um so that's part of my mornings but um then we do that then we play uh we go play pickleball there you go. Which is a very fast rising sport. A lot of your older listeners will You're know what it a is. Champ at that. Yeah. Yeah, but it's fun. It's a lot of competition. It's a lot of great exercise. Uh, we'll come home or from there, we'll uh, generally, generally go see one of our grandkids or go do something with one of the grandkids or go see our daughters. Yeah. And then uh, we'll come home and, and, do some more reading or whatever. Uh, I have an exercise bike and I have a little bit of a workout station and I'll work out a little bit while Charlene, she still cooks and everything. She's great. And then we'll, we'll do that. And then uh, generally we'll catch up on today's, uh, you know, we're still really interested in, in world events and we're still, we're still very politically oriented to what's happening. Not that, not that the, the the stuff is going to affect us very much. Not not we're both 
we're both, uh, well, she turned 69. I married a much older woman. I'm turning 69 soon. Uh, <laughs> but we're really concerned about it. It affects your children. Kids. It affects your family. It affects, it affects them. So what affects them is, is uh, and, I, and I, I, I procrastinated this a lot, and I'll, I'll say that. But I'm, all the notes, and I've been taking notes, uh, Christian notes, for a long time now. And uh, I'm trying to compile them and put them in trans put them in transcript. And I want to put a book together oh, awesome. for our, our uh, my grandkids. And 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 at some point when I do have it done and bound and everything else, just give it to them. And hopefully that uh, they'll be as lucky as I am that uh, I was able to benefit from those words. Yeah. Oh, they definitely will. They definitely will. That's all. Yeah. Well, they're on the right track right now through their parents. Yeah. Yeah. You guys have done a great job raising your kids. You know, this show is called Another Rep. What does another rep mean to you? Another rep is is another opportunity to improve yourself. Another rep is another opportunity uh, to get better another opportunity to advance, to edify yourself, to enhance your, the skills you've been blessed with. Uh, To me, that's what it would, I mean, that would be it. I love that. I I think that too, you know, if we only did 52 pushups a year, like you just, you just (laughs) were making a joke. Hey, I got to jump down and do 25 pushups. But if you only have one pushup a week, for you know, 52 weeks of the year, you're very strong. We just got to keep repping. So I know the reps that you've taken in your life with your wife and your kids and your family, it's all, it's all come out. It's all shown right now because your kids are wonderful. You've got a beautiful family. Your marriage is, you know, long lasting, strong. You guys love each other. I know because I've been around you guys and having dinner with you and Char is one of the funnest things I do or have <laughs> ever done because I can't stop laughing. I don't even get a chance to eat. I just laugh and, and it's just a, it's a blast. And, um, but uh, thanks for coming on this show. I love having you on the show. We're going to do it again. And uh, you keep repping. I'll keep repping. <laughs> and uh, well, I appreciate this opportunity for yeah. another rep. all right all right brother make it a great day man i'll talk to you later on you got it man talk to you later bobby thanks so much for coming on another rep if you like this show hit subscribe share this with your friends share this with your people your teammates your family and just share it around because i think our stories help other people's stories and that's what another rep is all about how we're repping life how are you repping life because your story helps somebody else's story. I know it does because every time I listen to this, and I love listening to these back again uh, um, just because of the stories, but um, your stories help everybody else's story because we're all connected. That's the way God made us. So until I see you again, you just keep repping, and I am out. Out.